0: Hi there, and welcome to the Pearls from My Mom podcast. Every mom has special pearls of wisdom she passes on to her kids. In this podcast, we'll be talking about those pearls of wisdom, as well as the life lessons that our moms have passed down to us. We will be sharing to keep the legacy alive. Hello, hello, and welcome to Pearls from My Mom. My name's Jessie. I'm your host, and I want to thank you so much for coming over here and listening to our podcast today. I think that you are just going to really enjoy the conversation that I have with today's guest because she is really and truly just an incredible human being, and she's got a great story to tell and we're going to get into some really great conversations. So listen to everything this lady does. Her name is Lisa Betts-Lacroix, and she is a speaker. She's a homeschooler. She's also a podcaster. She has a super cool podcast called Superpower You, and I'm telling you, you're going to listen to it. You're going to feel like you can take on the whole world, so that's amazing. She's been in film and television and she also does something that is has been very close to my heart for, for quite a while, and that's ballroom dancing. She's actually really good at it. You should see videos of her. Uh, they're online there. But she's a world title holder in pro-am in the American rhythm style. So all around, just an amazing lady. I can't wait to get into this conversation. So how about I stop teasing you and I go ahead and bring on our guest. Hey, Lisa, how are you?
1: Hi, Jessie. I'm good. Thank you so much for inviting me. To your show.
0: Oh, I'm so excited that you're here. I think we're going to have a really nice conversation all about your mom. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Why don't you tell us about your mom? What was she like? What's her name? All that good stuff.
1: Okay, sure. My mom was born Naomi Patricia Kutsukaki, and her father left when she was very young, a baby, maybe one or so. And when her mother remarried, Kitsch Tanaka, my mother took on his name. So she then was Naomi Patricia Tanaka. And then when she went to college or to nursing school, she, I guess she maybe wanted to blend in with the uh, white kids. So she started to go by Patty. And so then she was Patty Tanaka or Pat Tanaka, I think they called her. And then when she married my dad, she was Naomi Patricia LaCroix. Uh, she said LaCroix. My family said LaCroix. I say LaCroix. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so some people in her life knew her as Naomi, mostly family. And some people knew her as Patty. And then her nursing school people knew her as Pat. My dad's name also was Pat. So they were most often known as Pat and
0: Patty. Adorable. adorable. That is so adorable, <laughs> by the way.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, they were both born, my dad's birthday is March 16th and my mom's was March 17th. So they were both born they were born eight hours apart in the same year, in the same province, <laughs> and on, or near St. Patrick's Day, which is why they both have Pat, Patrick and Patricia names. <laughs> but that's very indicative of my parents. I mean, people who know my parents definitely think of them as Pat and Patty. They think of them as sort of a unit because they were together. They worked together. They, they, they had a business together from the time I was five until, well, until my mom died, really, although they were phasing out. Um, when she died, um, and so people really thought of them kind of as one unit.
0: I think that um, sounds that sounds like a like a nice thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, my and I was as far as my mom's story. I think one of the things that's really relevant to who she was, to her life story, to some of the challenges that she faced, um, is that she like. All the other Japanese Canadians who lived on the coast of Canada and BC, uh, not to mention most Japanese Americans who lived on in in California, um, they were all moved to in t- the interior of either Canada or in the states. So in my in my mom's case, they were given twenty four hours notice when my mom was three to pack up all of their things. And to move to the interior, um, so my mom spent the time, she was three until she was about eight, so for a year or two after the war ended, um, in the interior of BC in Japanese-Canadian internment camps, and in Greenwood and Grand Forks, mostly. And I think that is an experience that to some degree influenced who she was, even though I think the kids of that time didn't really experience it in the same way the adults did. But I think in t- when when you think about how cultural experiences and generational uh, generational emotions impact,
0: I think that it definitely had an impact on her in some way. Um, yeah. I have, to, I have to imagine that it would. I mean, those, those are, I have kids that are in between those ages right now, three to eight, and, well, actually, my son's nine, but whatever, close, you know, kind of yeah. close there. And yeah. those are super formative years, you know? Those are, that's where... Kids are kind of figuring out the world and you know like how they feel about it and how the world feels about them, so I have to imagine that that would have been pretty traumatic for your mom. Did she ever talk to you about it or
1: um yeah, my
0: mom really talked
1: about the historical experiences quite readily and her memories of them uh her mem- memories of her experiences and i she definitely said my mom was very stoic, she was very much um a person who could talk about her experiences in a in a light kind of way, and uh, you know, also that's also a cultural thing. Japanese Canadians, there's a phrase they all said, which is Shikata kanai and that means it can't be helped. They kind of accepted it. They didn't really think that much of it, or they just, you know, they accepted it until many years later, when I think uh, some of the younger generation came up and said, "No, this is not right. This is this needs to be redressed. This needs to be remedied." Because you know, in the case of my mom's family. They owned a hotel they owned um, I think they had interest in fishing boats. they had a lot of stuff uh, they had a lot of you know they had they had um, they had possessions they had pictures they had clothes they had dolls from Japan from when the earlier generation had come over and they lost everything. their governments never gave the Japanese Canadians and the Japanese Americans back their possessions so I don't know. I grew up not really knowing this story because it wasn't taught in Canadian history until more recently. So, a lot of people don't even know about the Japanese Canadian and the Japanese American internment. But, you know, they were, they lost everything. And not only that, they were treated terribly because there was a lot of racism in those days, Um, you know, that unfortunately we're kind of seeing a little bit recreated right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But they, yes, it certainly impacted them because they had the cultural and the collective experience of not being accepted anywhere. So my mom and, um, for example, and, and my grandmother too, generation, they were born in Canada. And um, they were basically said, you're, you're the enemy. We don't want you. You need to be, uh, you know, sequestered from our culture. And that absolutely had an impact on them collectively. And then add to that the fact that my mom's father left the family the family when she was about one or two years old and she grew up not knowing him. And then later when she was a young adult, around 18, she went and found him and he said he didn't want to have anything to do with her. He had moved on and, and he didn't want a relationship with her. So that combined with the fact that my grandmother, possibly also for cultural reasons and her own personal experience in the world was not the best mother. I think my mom grew up with a fair sense of, Projection as a deep part of her experience, and I think that also impacted the way she mothered because she really did not want to be the same kind of mother that her mother had been to her. So she had high expectations for herself as a mother, and she really, she really worked hard to try to be, a, you know, to try to be a mother that she thought a mother should be, which she wasn't always in ways. But she'd say things like do you do you girls mind that I don't bake cookies? She had this image, you know, this is in the 60s and 70s, and she had this image of a mother as being someone who bakes cookies and takes care of the kids and is at home, and she really didn't want to be, so she went back to work when I was five, and that was in 1970, and that was not at that time the most common thing. So, you know, I I, I guess all this to say that I think my mother – Uh, Was struggled a lot with self-esteem and feelings of whether she was good enough and that were partly born of her own childhood, but also partly born of the times.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So I think she had a complicated life emotionally in in a lot of ways. And, you know, a lot of the things, yeah. So that's a little bit about my mom. She was also um, someone who was known... When I was older, to be extremely welcoming to people, she would, if people were moving to, um, to I I grew up in Toronto, if people were moving to town, she would always be the first one to say, "Come on over for dinner," Um, and always was a place where people were welcome. My house was really a, uh, the more the merrier. Come on over, we're having dinner. Join in. We had a pool in the backyard, and so people would always come over and we'd have pool parties and you know just people would just show up and drop by our house was a very social place but interestingly my mom was quite shy and quite quiet and I would say fairly introverted so she would always play the role of making food and cleaning up and she would be around and I think she enjoyed it but she was not the sort of center of the social world in a lot of ways.
0: So, I don't know, I'm going on and on. There's so much I could say about my mom, you know, it's a whole life, so. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, it sounds like she went through a whole lot, you know, in like a pretty short period of time, and, you know, you said that she kind of vowed to make sure that she wasn't a quote-unquote bad mother to you. Um, How, I mean, did you see her strength a lot? Did you see her, I mean, you know you said she didn't bake you cookies, but she went back to work like what how did you how did you view that as a child?
1: I mean, for me, I didn't really know anything different, but I would say it wasn't all that common. It didn't feel that common at the time, but I remember feeling quite proud of the fact that my mother was you know a businesswoman. that's how I saw her, and that's how I would sort of identify her because I wouldn't really know how to identify it otherwise my My father was a commercial photographer pretty successful commercial photographer in Toronto and my mother ran the business, took care of the money, did the casting, did the propping, um, you know, took care of all the finances and the accounts receivable and accounts payable. And she did everything pretty much. My father was free to just focus on, um, entertaining the clients and doing the, and, and shooting. And, um, and so I, i didn 't really know how to describe that, so people would say, Oh my mother 's a nurse, my mother 's a teacher, you know, or my mother stays at home or whatever and so i 'd just say she 's a businesswoman, and I kind of liked that idea that my mother was a businesswoman it sounded it sounded cool, even even if a bit vague um, but my parents did have a business that influenced my childhood for sure, and that it was they had a building, it was in downtown Toronto. I would often go there after school. I worked there in the summers doing, um, you know, just helping or doing reception, mostly doing reception. And then when I was a bit older, I, was my, I, repped my, I represented my father, uh, my father for a while, which means I went out and tried to get him new work or build new relationships with clients. But my mother had a little office there and she kind of held court and people came by and people would always want to talk to her because my mom was a listener. Mm-hmm. She was the kind of person who, if you wanted advice, business advice, she often advised the photographers who were who were associates at my parents' studio or other people you'd come by and talk to Patty, her office was in the middle of the of the studio, and people would come and sit and she 'd sort of hold court there and listen to people 's challenges and problems and maybe give them some advice and maybe you know give them a little bit of tough love sometimes um, but she was, yeah. So their business definitely impacted my growing up, and um, and, and it's true that she wasn't uh, a sort of baking cookies, homemaking kind of mother. I didn't really think anything of that, and I never considered my mother to be someone who wasn't a good mother. You know, I think as as we all do, as I got older, I started to look into my own development and looking into, you know, those spots, those places in our lives where. Parts of our parents' uh, personalities or ways of communicating or ways of being in the world interact with us and how it impacts us. And, you know, I think that my mother definitely had some inner self-esteem or sort of some some impact from having a fair amount of depression, experiencing a fair amount of depression in her life, and even having a, a nervous breakdown when I was, what they called a nervous breakdown, I don't know what they call it now, but when I was 15, um, that was pretty intense and I would say definitely impacted my sense of connection. You know, I think what the, in psychology, they say something like, um, uh, Oh, I forget. It's like an attachment, a break in attachment or something like that mm-hmm. where because my mom was quite depressed at times in my childhood, I think there was a certain kind of emotional break that was, has been challenging for me in in some ways. Um, yeah. So, I don't know where I've gone. Have I gone off in a
0: (laughs) major tangent? Well, that's all right. I mean, I think it it helps give some context. And to me, it sounds like your mom was, you know, strong, even though like she did, she had to deal with depression, but she was a survivor, man. I mean, like the fact that she went through so much. Oh, yeah, definitely. The fact that you said she's a listener and that people would come to her for advice, I would feel so stupid, going to your mom and being like, here's my little problem, and just having her look at me and be like, you know, <laughs> like, like I, I'm sure she never said it out loud, but I'm sure, like, at one point she had to think, like, listen, man, I was in in a camp for <laughs> my child. Oh, it's, so,
1: it's so interesting you'd say that. No, you know, I would say my mom was not judgmental, even though she she could be critical in the moment. So if you did something... you know, she could get impatient or she could be frustrated, or especially if there was something she couldn't communicate about the way she wanted something done, she could be critical. But I would say she was non-judgmental in terms of other people's experience in the world. And when people held her in confidence, she was, yeah, she was not judgmental. She was a listener and she would give feedback. And sure, she might say, hey, come on, like, you know, take a little bit of a piece out of the people that she was advising, but not in a, not in a critical way in that situation, I don't think.
0: No. And I'm sure that has more to do with like the way that I would feel about it. You know, I'm sure your right, mom right. like she was amazing. So, so that's awesome. She's like, a you know, she was ahead of her time being a businesswoman, and I think that's incredible.
1: I, yeah. I, yeah. She, I would say that's true. She was true. And the interesting thing i think I mean there's a lot I could say about my mom and her life Um, but a lot of who she is and who she who I see the way I see her I think didn't really come into focus until she was dying and I think I don't know if that's common I mean you're Having what I think must be quite an interesting experience and privilege to talk to so many people about their experience of losing their mothers uh, or having mothers who are no longer around. And I'm kind of guessing there might be some theme or some kind of common experience of that. But my experience, anyway, certainly was that when my mom got sick and was clearly going to, um, you know, die uh, pretty quickly that who she was and my relationship with her came into focus in a quite a different way than before.
0: I think that's hundred percent normal. I think almost everybody that I've talked to has said that, you know, they, they've, they've perceived things in a different way after she was gone or after she got sick. And so I think that's totally normal. Just so that we have some context, yeah. how long has it been since she's been gone? Um, she died on september ninth two
1: thousand and sixteen at nine a m so nine the the ninth month the ninth day nine a m uh uh about just about a year almost a year and a half ago
0: okay so it's you know it's it's
1: pretty fresh still
0: pretty fresh yeah so and you don't have to get into any specifics if you don't want but you said that she had she was sick was it a long drawn out illness or was yeah. it yeah no it wasn't it was it was really really quick she was diagnosed
1: on june 16th with pancreatic cancer mm-hmm. after you know feeling not good having stomach pain going in and getting you know getting uh, colonoscopies and trying to figure out what what it was and being told no you know you're you you know you just need some you know maybe you're constipated or like just kind of we don't see anything And then finally, um, on June 16th, she went down to Buffalo to get uh, um, an MRI, which she had been having trouble getting in Canada, which, you know, is a whole other conversation, I guess. I mean, I'm grateful for the Canadian healthcare system, given that I live in the state. States and our system in the States has so many problems. But one of the realities in Canada is that sometimes you can't get what you need as quickly as you need it. And so anyway, she went to Buffalo, got an MRI and came home with a pancreatic cancer diagnosis on June 16th.
0: Wow.
1: Um, so she lived, you know, uh, you know, three, three months from then. And so it was extremely fast for us. And uh, my sister lives in New York, upstate New York, and I live in San Francisco and my parents live in Toronto. So it was, yeah, very intense three months where we were looking at, you know, sure we went like most people do into, you know, is there a solution? Is there chemotherapy? Is there something that will work? Kind of like, and we went pretty quickly to let's look for you know what my husband, who's a scientist, calls a hail mary treatment. You know, like anything. Like, will this work? But it was a pretty fast process of getting to the realization that we were looking at losing her, and she was looking at, at dying, at leaving us. And um, yeah, it was it was intense, and it was it was the whole gamut of life from traumatic and sad and deep and connecting and beautiful and painful and, um, you know, relationship building and traumatic and, uh, you know, painful. And, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a deep and, and profound experience, but also, yes, extremely painful. And I think, especially for my father, pretty, pretty traumatic.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. If they, you know, had been together so long. And I, I hear a lot of similarities with what happened to my mom as well. And, um, and I, I'm, I was living in Ottawa, you know, or I live on the Quebec side, but whatever. And my mom's in Colorado. So I had that distance between us as well. And I always, that was one of the things that I felt the worst about, I think. Like, I always wish that I could have just packed up my family and just moved there you know, for the eight months that she had left, I did visit as many times as I could, but um, I kind of yeah. I, guess I would consider that a regret. Did you, were you guys separated? Like, did you have to stay in San Fran and she was? No,
1: I I would have to say that I felt huge gratitude and and so lucky for the fact that I was able to spend a lot of time there. My kids are older than yours, and um, and my my son is 18 and my daughter was 18 and my daughter was 12. And I have a lot of support and friends and I was able to spend a lot of time there. So I did spend a very large percentage of those three months in Toronto, but it was still difficult in that every time I'd leave, I'd be, I'd feel that I want to go home. I need to see my kids. I need to connect with my home and I'd have to, you know, and I really had no experience with death and I had no experience with what it might look like. So I really had to struggle with the feeling of is is she going to be here in five five days from now when I come back like I'm coming back in five days will she live that long and I didn't know what it looked like and as we got deeper into the process we had hospice and so I was able to ask them you know the nurse do you think she'll is this getting close to the end or and you know to the best of their ability they said no 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 it's not going to be soon so I could go home and But yes, I felt huge gratitude for the fact that I was able to go back and forth a lot. And one of the things that I, you know, in a practical matter that I think about that I I didn't, I was lucky, but I would want to say to so many people who haven't lost their parents in some ways, like, keep those, get those frequent flyer miles (laughs) lined up. Because I have to say that having a bunch of frequent flyer miles as practical as that sounds made a huge difference for me in this period of time. And that I could just say, okay, I'm going to use a bunch of miles and go home in two days, you know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so yeah, I, I was able to spend a lot of time there and it, in it but it did. Um, yeah. Yeah. I was grateful. I was there. We were there a lot. All of us were there together. My sister came in and out. She lives five hours away. So She came a lot. Sometimes I would leave and then she'd go and one of us was pretty much always there. And then my mom's best friend from nursing school, Judy, my dad calls her his angel. She and my mom were very close and she, when we found out what the diagnosis was, she called my dad and she said, I'm coming and I'm staying. And... She was an outpost, outpost nurse in, um, up in the, um, in, uh, at Pond Inlet way up North in Canada. Mm -hmm. And so she's a hardcore nurse, nitty gritty, you know, small community, you do everything kind of person in terms of her experience, but also in terms of her personality. And, she just came and she stayed and she took care of my mom until the very end. And she was the best friend that you could have. You know, she had the experience of being a nurse so she could bring her professional knowledge and experience, but she also loved my mom and my mom loved her. And she was the best friend to my mom and the best nurse. And like my dad said, his angel, because we could not have kept my mother home if she had not been there for all of us and for my mom, you know, from rubbing my mom's legs as she got, you know, closer and closer to the end of her life to, you know, doing every single thing needed from a nursing point of view, but also being there to talk with her and, you know, and and she's kind of a no nonsense kind of person too. So they they had a deep understanding and friendship between them that I don't know my mom had in the same way with anyone else. So
0: it was a pretty pretty profound gift. That's amazing. It's, it's so nice to have somebody there kind of help and guiding. And like you said, you didn't really know anything about death. And I'm sure she, you right. know, like, it, it's, it's not something that a lot of people fortunately know a whole lot about. So my aunt was a nurse, and it was helpful to have her out, um, like, closer towards the end because she could kind of give us some insights and so I think that's I'm really glad to hear that yeah felt good about that
1: yeah I mean we we that's the other thing that I think I experienced and realized is that we live in a culture where we have so little relationship with death mm-hmm. you know and besides you of your one of the things you said you might you know I might want to think about was why do I want to tell my mom's story right and I would say that from a personal on a personal level it 's because um, you know as some of the first year deep deep pain, grief, panic, hypochondria, like the really intense level of grief that I experienced the first year kind of softened that I feel a little bit of her slipping away from me, and I look for opportunities to talk about her as much as I can because it it i don 't know it just reconnects me, you know but the other piece is that culturally we don't talk about death very much and we don't understand it or see it or know it and so i i think it's important and useful to bring the conversation of death into our world in much more um much more much more often much more Commonly, then, then it 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 has presence here, and uh, because it is such a deep and rich, and you know, complicated part of our of our experience of living, and um, yeah, so I I yeah, so that's going back to the fact you're saying having your aunt as a nurse and me having my aunt or my my mom's best friend Judy there, um, and then also we had uh, in home care home hospice. Um, And I also did a lot of reading, uh, Atul, Gawande's book, Being Mortal, was a pretty profound reading for me and thinking about hospice in general. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a really foreign experience for me, really, really foreign. And and I think it is for most people. And so when you have the insights from people who have experienced, in a way, midwifing death, you know, which I think is... A lot of what the best nurses and the best medical professionals do—it's um, pretty profound and changing experience.
0: Oh, for sure, it's—it's. It's, uh, I don't. Did you end up seeing the movie Coco that just came out, the Disney movie?
1: No, but I've heard it's really good. I—it's been recommended to me a number of times.
0: Oh, I—I I was like the only adult in the theater, and I cried the whole way through the other thing. But it's because it's beautiful, and it's—it um, celebrates the—the the dead in a way, you know, because it's Dios. It's about it. Dios de los Muertos, yeah. Yeah. So, and, and like, and I was also like a little bit jealous watching it because, like, our our culture doesn't do that, you know. The and I would say North American, but obviously Mexico's, you know, part of that. But like, you know, in in the U.S. in Canada, I don't think as a whole, our cultures, you know, deal with that at all. You know, it's kind of like, I I was talking to one guest the other day and she said that somebody told her three months after her mom died that she should, you know, just get over it. Like, you know, she's gone. And I know, I'm like, what? So I I do hope that our culture moves, that we get some of that. Because I love to talk about my mom and I can tell when it makes, like if people have never lost somebody, it makes people genuinely uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I'm not, it doesn't make me, you know, I might get sad even if I tear up or even if I start crying, it's still like, I don't want my mom to slip away. Like you said, I don't want exactly. her to, you know, it's like all of a sudden she's just gone from this earth and now we can't remember anything about her. And, and that to me is terrifying. So that's why I started this whole thing, but yeah. And I just really want to honor you for doing that and appreciate
1: you because I do think that it's a gift to be able to have the com- these conversations you know, with people that you know we don't know each other, and but we have this shared experience. And to be able to have the opportunity to share it with each other and just have that, have that opportunity to speak out loud and have this conversation and remember our mothers, I think it's an incredible gift, like I say, just to, your, to me for sure. But also to our culture to just keep on increasing the our willingness to talk about and look at death. Because like you say, I'm happy to cry when I think about my mother. You know, like I don't, I, I'm happy to feel. I'm happy to, to remember to, you know. I mean, I, I have heard that you get to a point where you think about your parent who you've, you've lost and you just feel happy. You don't feel sad. I still feel sad, but <laughs> mm-hmm. I'd rather be in my feelings and be present to them and be able to share them and connect with other people around it than, than anything else.
0: Oh, I totally agree. I think one of the parts of grief that I did not expect at all was like, there was a while there where it was just straight up apathy towards everything. Like I was like, I just felt empty, you know, and I didn't, I, I was expecting to be crying all the time, or I was expecting to be angry, or, you know, you see the, the grief chart and I didn't really understand that apathy was, was part of that. And I'm, so happy that I'm not in that stage anymore because I I would rather cry than than just feel numb, you know. Yep. Yep. Well, yes, we- I definitely remember that state.
1: Just feeling like I felt like a bit of a shell of a person for <laughs> for some number of months, and just kept on trying to keep showing up, but my heart was not in in it.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well I'm glad we're I'm glad we're both out of that. Hopefully it never comes back. But um yeah. and thanks for the compliment. I think it's a it's a wonderful gift to myself to be able to that's honestly like this is mostly self self-therapy and <laughs> if yeah people like it and listen that's awesome. But you know it's it's just makes me feel happy. So yeah, it. I totally get it. It's interesting
1: because one of the things I I noticed when when it was clear that we were dealing with my mom dying it, it, is that or even after my mom did die, that it's almost like within about ten or fifteen seconds of talking with someone, I could tell from their energy, from their level of comfort, from the words they said whether they had lost a parent or not. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost like a before and an after. Like mm-hmm. there's who you were before, and there's who you were after, and it's a different thing. And not not as a criticism to people who, you know, clearly hadn't experienced that. But there's a kind of a getting it that you can't really get if you haven't had it because it's such a, you just can't even imagine what it's like. At least I could not imagine what it was like to lose a parent before I did. Such that when someone that I knew did lose a parent, I didn't really know what to say. I didn't really understand the feeling as, you know, as is right, <laughs> you know, but, it, but just the, the, the profound difference between the before and the after was really striking to me.
0: I totally agree. I, I remember, I felt like there was my life before my mom was diagnosed and there was eight months to where I was just trying to like shove all the love I possibly could at my mom and like yep. enjoy drinking every son, every second that I had with her. But it was so hard because you know, I suppose when you know you're going to die, it's pretty traumatic on yourself. And yeah, so my mom wasn't really the same anymore either. And yep. then there was, after she passed away, it was like they're all very distinct. Those are my like breaks in life where I could like separate my personality and, and I'm still growing, thank goodness. And I'm, I'm sure you are too. Like you're still mm-hmm. kind of coming into your own and figuring out who you are after she's gone because she's such yeah. a part of us, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's funny because like I did have parents, you know, friends whose parents had died not a lot uh, before my mom did. And, and I, you're right. I, I'm sure I said the wrong thing or I'm sure I wasn't sympathetic enough or, you know, and I feel so bad now looking back on it. But then I thought to myself, I have a few friends whose moms have passed away. And now that my mom's gone, I'm like, oh, great. You know, we're going to be able to talk about it. But I I didn't realize that it's really painful for some people to talk about. Not everybody deals with it the same, right?
1: Oh, interesting. Right, right. That's probably true. I'm sure it's true.
0: Yeah. And so some of my friends have never, you know, a, a couple of them have reached out and said, hey, look, I'm really sorry to hear about your mom. I know what you're going through. And then, you know, I'm like, hey, you should come on the podcast or, you know, and then like, yeah. oh, I don't think I could get through it. And it's, and I mean, we're not even talking about people whose I mean, we, their moms could have been gone for like 10, 15 years. And it's right. So yeah, it's for true. sure. We're all different in terms of the way we process information.
1: I'm definitely a verbal external processor. I'd rather, you know, think through my thoughts with someone else and I'm a connector, you know, I want to share it and you know but for sure not everyone else is like that and actually one of that's one of the things I really did learn from my mom getting sick and dying is that I never really noticed it before until until she was dying that she was not a very verbal person and I I it seems crazy that I didn't really notice that or that I couldn't have articulated that before Mm. but it got to the point where it was a month or two before, you know, in the last months. And I'd be having this feeling of, you know, because the way I process information and the way I connect is through words and talking. And I would feel like, okay, let's talk. Tell me something, mom. Tell me like, what can I ask her? What can I find out? How do I get more? And, and I'd ask her questions. I try to go deep into these conversations and she'd say things like, well, there's not really much to say, is there? you know and i'd be like what are you talking about mom of course there's you're you're going to die soon of course there's stuff to say you have to say it i need something to hold on to please please talk talk you know and and she she would try to you know honor what i wanted and to connect and but she was just it was just not her way of connecting or communicating and so it was in that stage of just really grasping for words or something from her that I realized wow she just really she's processes information differently we're different Mm -hmm. you know
0: yeah it's it's funny how people are are different in that way you you mentioned something about you know you can tell if you're talking to somebody within seconds if they've had a parent by the way that they are uncomfortable. What do you think? I mean, if for some reason, I would imagine most people that listen to this podcast have lost their mom or at least right. But if somebody's out there listening and they're happy to hear this and they they don't know what to do if somebody starts talking about their mom, what should we tell them to do? Like, should we tell them to just be there? And- yeah, I mean, I don't. I I think
1: it's kind of like you know what I the kind of response that I'm talking about, the kind of noticing that I had of people who. Who, um, who I could tell, well, they actually c- can't quite get it. I didn't really have any judgment of it. Like to me, it's it's right that mm-hmm. someone who hasn't experienced it doesn't n- know exactly, doesn't really understand the experience, and doesn't. It's kind of like, you know, how before you know, after you have kids, you kind of want to say to people, well, when you have kids, is it going to be like this? And you <laughs> want them to understand how radically their life is going to change when they have kids, but you can't really say that to someone, you know because one they're not going to get it. You can't communicate it. You can't really describe what it's going to be like when you actually become a parent. True. Yeah, you, know, you can't you can't say I know it sounds horrible to, you know, not be able to sleep and have to lose your freedom and but it's actually <laughs> going to be really the best thing you've ever experienced. Like they can, it doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know that's and, true. and and so in some ways I think that's just the way it is meant to be. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I think I would just say that you know, let people it's okay to feel it's okay to it's okay for your friend for if someone you know has lost someone it's okay for them to feel And it's okay to um to be present and i mean i've never i never ever experienced anyone saying things like the platitudes like oh it's for the best or anything like that like definitely don't say that i i didn't experience that though that's
0: good um, it's yeah. surprising to me how many people have heard, you know, everything happens for a reason. <laughs> oh, wow. Really? Yeah. yeah no, I, I, I haven't I, really heard that either. So it's, I mean, you know, did not. No. that's no. Better, better for us. That's good. Yeah. So you've, you've made it through your first full year and now you're, you're working on your second year with Howard yeah. and, um. It sounds like you're coming through everything great. What are you doing to keep her memory alive for yourself? Because you said you you were kind of worried that she was going to start slipping away. So what are you doing to to keep that memory alive?
1: Well, um, I guess just in terms of very, you know, sort of symbolic things. I have her picture and some of her ashes and picture of her when she was younger um, in my house in a little sort of alcove that is the place, especially in the first year where I felt like I could go and buy it or stand by it for a minute and just like like cry. And then I could, you know, which I did a lot, and then I could, you know, say, okay, now I'm going to my day. And it was sort of a marker or a place for, okay, now I can just have this deep feeling. And anytime I wanted to feel, and even still if I really want to go to the feeling of feeling her, feeling the loss, feeling the grief, I can go there and I can look at it and I can feel it. And for me, that's really, really useful, really useful and really helpful. But I'd say the other thing is that I learned a lot. You know, I thought I've thought a lot about this piece about, um, about talking and about words. And I am a very verbal person. And I don't know if this is exactly what you're saying, but I would say the answer, the answer, the question I'm really answering now, I guess, is how has it changed me or how am I changing going forward? Mm-hmm. And the answer to that, I'd say, is that it made me realize that it's the time for me now to speak up, to fully share my words and my experience, to not hold myself back, that to honor my mom's memory and to honor who she is in the world fully means that I need to honor myself fully and myself in the world fully. And and to accept and respect her way of being present in the world as not a verbal person, that it's kind of for me to, I don't know, to speak up, to write. Uh, one of the things that really occurred to me is that I really wanted to have words from her. Um, And so even though my kids are both at ages where they really don't want my advice, (laughs) 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 they really don't want my advice. There's a part of me that thinks I still want to, when I'm inclined, you know, there's, I I see myself being inclined to share my advice for my kids. And I kind of have trained myself over the years to not Mm -hmm. give advice But at the same time, because I didn't want advice when I was their age, but now that I've had the experience of losing my mom and wanting it, there's a part of me that feels the best thing would be to find ways to put my words, to share who I am with my kids and for my kids in a way that will be here in some form of a legacy, whether that's writing letters to them or writing even emails to them or, you know creating things in the world writing a book or having a podcast which is what i'm focusing on now and just really bringing myself fully present in ways that have some element of a legacy because it's what i wanted from and of my mom Mm um so yeah i think that's a really big change i see myself showing up in the world differently as a result of, and I, and I do see it as being in respect of my mom's memory in, as an expression, as a way of connection to her and as an honoring of her. Does
0: that awesome. makes sense? Yeah, it totally does. I feel the same, I feel the same way. And I think that I think it's nice to keep that connection. And I think it's, you know, it's, I think it's necessary for me. And like you said, your kids don't necessarily want your advice now, but they will. My mom actually, I remember when I, you know, she said she was terminal and all that. And I, I remember I had talked to somebody who had lost their mom and she said, oh, well just make sure you know her story, you know, like, yeah. And, and I know that there were holes because when you're a kid, you're like self-centered and you're all focused on your growing up. And, And so I remember I said something to my mom, I was like, I hope that you can like write down your story and she didn't really acknowledge it. And then she passed away and I felt really bad about it. But my sister and I were cleaning out her house and we found this big giant binder and she actually did. She typed out and she typed out her thoughts on everything. So she has chapters and it's like my chapter on finance. And it was like, you know, like regular mom advice, like don't spend beyond your means. Like don't take out a credit card for stuff you couldn't pay for. Like It's all. And she'd never given it to you before? No. Did she write it after she had gotten sick or no she wrote it after so my parents uh, got divorced in when i was in my early 20s and she went to go live with her w- what she called her sweetheart and he was uh he was a past love from college and he was inevitably going to die he was a like a quadriplegic and so she was helping take care of him slash it turned into a love relationship and so he passed away uh t- 10 years before my mom did and i think him dying made her kind of have that realization that you know mortality exists and that we're not going to be here. So she actually started writing it after he passed away. Oh wow! So it just been what a gift. Around. I know, and it's amazing. And I haven't gotten a chance to to go through it all and read it. It, it was my sister forgot to send me a copy. So I finally just got one in October, but I have somehow just
1: knowing it's there, I bet is the, is the big piece, right?
0: Oh yeah. It's so amazing to me to like, just, okay, I need, I need words for my mom and I can just like dip into that book. So I think it's awesome. You know, if you can start writing that kind of thing for your kids and, you know, hopefully they'll be around for, you know, 50 years, 60 years, and you won't have to worry about that, but you know, they'll have it one day. So I think
1: I think, yeah, exactly. Like for me, it's in a way, it's the thing that allows me to not go down the route of when I'm gone, you're going to, like, I definitely don't want to be
0: that person, you know? (laughs) For sure. Yeah. No, just start writing it now and then they'll just have it. So exactly. That's awesome. So, you know, the heart of the whole show is, you know, the pearls of wisdom that your mom gave you. And it sounds like your mom was, you know, incredibly smart and savvy. So what would be your favorite pearl of wisdom from your mom?
1: Well, like I said, when I when I knew she was dying, I really did, was grasping. And I did want her to, you know, to tell me what to do or how to be. And I, because it wasn't natural to her at one point, uh, just in the last week, I'd say before she died, I said, mom, um, you know, can you give me a directive, please give me a life directive. Tell me, tell me some, tell me something that I should remember when you're gone, you know? And she said, she said, um, very simply, just very typical of my mom. She said, um, uh, Love each other, be happy, and help as many people as you can. Mm-hmm. And that is so typical of my mom. And I just kind of like almost like gr- grasped it like a starving person. You know, I wrote it down and I memorized it. And I will always, you know, ask, if I have something like this, it's a, it's the perfect, you know, it's the thing, it's the, the thing, and, um, and I very explicitly got it. I very, you know, I very explicitly said, mom, I need a directive. I need something. Tell me something. Some way to live my life that I can keep going back to. Like I s- instinctively knew I was gonna want something like that pearl of wisdom. Mm-hmm. So I explicitly asked for it, and it's interesting because it's so much my mom, right? It's simple, and you know, mm-hmm. and I think. And I think she, she was the kind of person who really, she was very, she had a lot of humility. Some of it was born of her own maybe insecurity and self-esteem. And some of it was because she just was kind of a humble person. And she just didn't think anything she did was particularly special. And I think she thought, well, I don't really have anything wise to say. There's nothing really particularly you know, deeper, profound, I'm going to tell you Lise, but you know, she didn't say that, but that was, that's kind of the subtext to it and the way she would have would have offered it, you know, I think. No, um, sure. Yeah. So it's kind of just something I hold on to. I do have, I did record some conversations with her in the last week or so mm-hmm. uh, before she died. I have not been able to listen to them yet, but I, I am happy to have them and to know they're there for when I'm ready to listen to them.
0: Oh, for sure. I think those will be, this will be so nice. I remember I, I saved some voicemail. Well, my first episode, I played a, a voicemail from my mom and I, I saved a few of them. And then there was this panic technology moment where I lost them. And I was like, oh, man. I was on the Facebook forums being like, how can I get these back? And oh, oh man, I could, yes. I got them back. But You got them. You I have did. them. Yeah. And she did, she recorded like a video because like she knew she was terminal. And so um, she recorded a, a video of herself. I've I saw it once with my sister and then I. I came home and showed it to my kids because she gave messages to my kids. And um, and I have it. And I haven't watched it again, but I know that I have it. And if I need it, I can, I can pull it out, you know? Yeah. Yep. It's important. Well, we talked a bit about the grieving process and how it's just all over the place. But now it's time for you to give, to give your pearls. Do you have any advice to people that are going through grief? You know, sometimes it's different stages. So somebody listening to this could be... Their mom could have been gone for two days or twenty years, but do you have anything that you would say that's helped you through the process?
1: Um, I think I would. the The most important thing I think is to know that the feelings, whatever the feelings, the complex feelings, that they're necessary, that they're part of the process, that they're valid, that they're useful, that they are part of what connects you to the experience that they're part of the learning process. And to, although I guess this is also, I guess the other piece is, I was, is that some people may be not willing to do that. Some people need to unpack their feelings a little bit at a time. My, my instinct is always to say, let your feelings be, trust them, let them express themselves, you know, that kind of thing. But then I think some other people just really need to do it differently. So I guess, I guess the advice, if there was any advice would be to, you know, know that grief is an individual process and people handle it and express it in various different ways. But that if there are some things that are surprising to you, um, don't not to, to know that it probably is part of the process, to not make any really big decisions, because, you know, like sometimes I think family dynamics come up. Suddenly you're having fights with your loved ones that you didn't really expect to have, you know? Mm-hmm. And sometimes the things that feel the most distressing In the midst of grief, don't necessarily feel like they're connected to it, but I think they are. And so I think it's really important to not make any really um, big radical changes in the midst of it because some of the feelings that, like I say, I I had extreme hypochondria Mm -hmm. for, you know, the year, I think almost the year after my mom was diagnosed and died. And, uh, uh, you know, my sister and I had this big, huge fight a couple days after my mom's funeral, that was totally an expression of grief, you know. um, There were moments where I, just like you described, I felt like I didn't really care about anything or didn't want to do anything, like all those things and probably a hundred other variations on the theme are just part of the process, and so I think it's really important to uh, find ways that work to ride that wave, whatever your unique wave is.
0: Mm -hmm. I think that's great advice. Now, she's you know since she's been gone, it's been like I said a, a little over a year. What's your relationship with like her with her now? Like, do you? I always like to ask like, and some people think it's silly, and some people don't. But do you believe that she is still visiting you, or I mean, do you still are you still talking to her on a daily basis or anything like that? Um, I not it's not my experience, my personal experience
1: to, like, I don't, didn't grow up in any kind of religion or any sense of um, afterlife or anything like that. And I definitely could say that I have some envy of people who have that experience or that, that belief or that knowledge um, that they're going to revisit or see their, their, their parent again, or their, you know, their lost, their loved one. Um, And I don't have that. So for me, the way that she lives on or the relationship I still have is in the memories, is in the speaking, is in the talking to other people. Um, When I did, when I, when I wrote the eulogy, when she died, I said that in a way she lives on in the ways that we emulate the characteristics that she brought to the world and that she, she, the ways that she shined. And so, you know, I think I try to, um, learn from the person she was and, and both in emulating some of her characteristics, but also in just bringing mine more fully, fully present. So I don't know, I, I I'm, I'm, I don't have, I wish I had more of a sense of talking with her or I read um, something on a blog, someone's blog post a day or two ago about um, writing letters, uh, writing a letter to your mom Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know I might do that because you know I think that could be another way of connecting and I definitely am also continuing to look for ways that I can keep her present in my life in my memory in my you know in my in my world
0: mm-hmm. um, for sure yeah, I, I don't I do that I write letters I I do like the Christmas update letter you know that my mom yeah. used to write to everybody I do those um and it yeah I
1: think that's a, that's um I do have a tradition that I grew up in and that is a Japanese uh New Year's celebration, which is called Oshogatsu. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I'm fourth generation Canadian, right? And I'm 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 half Asian, so I'm not really steeped in Japanese culture. Right? and um but I did grow up with my the Japanese relatives having this New Year's celebration where we make mochi and families all together. And then uh, you know, when I was an adult, my mom carried that tradition on my grandmother taught me to make sushi. We used to do that when I was an adult. And for the last four or five years, I've done it every January 1st. And now it, it has more meaning to me in the sense of carrying on that tradition now that my mom's gone. So yeah. So just in terms of, sorry, not to interrupt you talking about, but you made me realize like the idea of a Christmas letter mm-hmm. is another place. So I you write it. you write letters to your mother or just you carry on a tradition that she did?
0: Yeah. I mean, everybody said to like journal, it's a good idea to journal, but I I don't know. I always feel funny about journaling. Like, like I'm not writing to anybody, you know, it's like dear diary kind of thing. And right. Right. So I like, I like what I'll do is I'll take like a hike or, you know, I'll do something outdoors or something that I think my mom, you know, I'll bake some cookies, something that my mom would have loved to do. And then I'll write to her. And it always gives me like an opener. Like, I, I took a hike today. I know that you would have loved the view. And then I can be like, this is what my son's up to. This is what my daughter's into, and you know, I, oh. and it just helps me stay a bit connected. I don't do it all the time, but you know, when the, when the mood strikes me and I feel like I'm, you know, if I'm losing connection or whatever, I'll kind of start to do that. So
1: yeah, try it out. It's kind of, I might have to try that. It's, it'll, that will be interesting to see how that feels, but it's, I love the idea and it's something that, that is definitely worthwhile, try, worthwhile trying on.
0: Yeah. That's kind of nice. All right. So I have one last question for you. Okay. Okay, because you're you're really good with words. You're good at describing things. So if you were to picture your mom in like a special outfit, or like how would you? How do you picture her now? Like you know, and um, it, it could be like her as, a, as younger. Or, I mean, it doesn't. I'm just curious. If you closed your eyes and somebody said, "Describe your mom to us," what would you picture?
1: Um. Hmm. Well, my mom, as far as clothes, my mom pretty much always wore black. <laughs> She didn't really like to wear anything but black. Um, I think she saw it as sophisticated and slimming and, you know, that kind of thing. And my mother was also quite petite. She was little. She was like maybe five feet tall. So she always wore high heels. Mm -hmm. Um, And and, um, she had very beautiful hair until the day she died. Uh, Salt and pepper hair, mostly gray by the time she died, but very striking hair. And, um, oh, she had the same haircut from the time she was, uh, you know, in her, in her early twenties until she died, like kind of a chin length bob.
0: Mm -hmm. And,
1: uh, uh, so I, and I have a couple pictures that are pretty strong in my mind in terms of like sort of imprinted as the visualization of my mom. And yes, she's wearing black, she's wearing high heels and she has the, the salt and pepper hair. Um, she sounds very chic. Yeah, I think she was, and definitely in her way, she definitely was. I don't think she saw herself that way, but I think that she was seen that way by by others.
0: Well, if you always wear black, I guess it's easy to choose what you're going to wear. It sounds like that fit with her personality, too. Like, he, you said she wasn't, she was a, a listener. She, like, absorbed things from other people. She wasn't necessarily, like, out there. Talking. She was not flashy at all. She, yeah.
1: she liked sophisticated things, and, you know, she grew up quite poor because of the war so she really liked expensive things mm-hmm. um, she liked things to be quality although she was not a spendthrift but she really did like things to be nice and she, in fact she was very very careful with money um, you know that's a whole other other story you know my mom's relationship with money and how she thinks of how she thought about it and how she taught me about it and you know you know, that's actually, I just going back a little bit to something you said before, something that really changed me, I think, one of the things that um, was pretty profound for me was my mom was always very careful with money and very organized with money and very, uh, you know, just was a lot of the time she spent was investing and making sure finances were in order and responsible and that kind of thing. And one of the things she said before she died was, I wish I had spent more money and I think that really uh, had a big impa- impact on me because I didn't hear it just as spend money. I heard it as live life.
0: That's really interesting. Like, yeah, like you, I guess you can't take it with you, right? Like you, right. Like, yeah. <laughs> so take the trip. She
1: even said, I wish I could spend money now, even when she was six. She said, like, I wish I could spend money now. So, which I don't know. In some ways, like I say, I, I hesitate on it because in some ways it's, it might be heard a little superficially, but to me it was profound, you know?
0: No, I I don't. I think that to me that says like, you know, take the trip that you want to take, you know, order the, order the bottle of wine that you want to order, you know, like it don't, you know, and of course don't just go around, you know, tossing money out at everything, but, but don't be so careful that you never get a chance to fully enjoy, I guess.
1: And I think because of her childhood and because of growing up in that, experience. Um, She was very careful about money and very much saved it and very much spent her time trying to, you know, make more of it. And
0: yeah. I think that's, that's good. Well, that's a pearl of wisdom we could take away as well. You know, like do the thing, that that thing that you want to do, get that going. (laughs) Do the thing, live the life. Yeah. Awesome. (laughs) Well, I can... I could talk to you all day. You're so fun. You're so easy to talk to and we've talked we've heard a lot about your mom, but let's let's hear a little bit about you. Um I had mentioned in the intro that you're also a podcaster, which is very clear from your lovely voice. Uh you know, do, you're doing the dance thing, but why don't you tell us if people want to know more about you or if they want to contact you and uh, hear more about your podcast Superpower You, where do they find you?
1: Yeah, I would love I would love your listeners to to join me on my show. It's Superpower You, and that's U is in the letter U. Um, and I interview amazing, interesting people, trying to dig deep into what their strengths are and what their superpowers are that give them effectiveness in the world and that can be applied across domains. Um, some of the some of my tribe are people in transition of various types, people whose kids are ending up you know are, are getting close to launching or people who are changing careers people in quarter life crises things like that um and i would just love for people to join me there so i'm on uh super power you on facebook uh can like my page join me there uh or find me at lisa com slash podcast which is where my the home of my podcast so okay, um awesome. yeah, yeah and I'm at go
0: B- take a listen
1: Yeah. And I'm at at Lisa BL on Twitter and most platforms. Oh, perfect.
0: Okay. And I'll, I'll send out all those links and everything like that. Just real quick. Did your mom ever get a chance to see you dance? She did.
1: She she did. (laughs) My mom, my mom loved dancing and she would have loved to dance more. And in fact, Okay, sorry, I'm going on. You're trying to wrap up, and I've got no. It's
0: okay, one, we got time. I mean, you, one
1: more little thing. So interestingly, my mom loved to dance, and she never really danced as much as she would have liked to. I think, and she was so happy to see me dancing, and to uh, she saw videos. I don't think she ever came to a competition or saw me in person, saw me in in, uh, in real life. But she definitely watched all my videos, and she was super proud of me for that. And in fact, after after um, I started dancing. She started taking ballroom dance lessons in Toronto, Uh, and that was really cool. And and then one thing that happened when she died, um, we were trying to get into one of her accounts or her Gmail or something like that, and we were asked for a password cue. Mm -hmm. And the question was, what did you always want to be as a child? And when you what did you want to be when you grew up when you were a child or something like that? What was your your profession, ideal profession? And I said, I think it's dad try dancer and bang it worked and it was kind of like this moment of connection with her like something we shared a love of something that she never really did as much as she wanted something that i started very late in life and then she got more involved in later and the fact that i i kind of instinctively knew that would be it was kind of was pretty amazing it was a pretty amazing moment for me
0: (laughs) That's phenomenal! I'm so glad that she that you know she got a chance to see you do it, and that she got a chance to do it. I I used to be a ballroom dance instructor, and I got my mom some dance lessons. So um, she never competed or did any shows or anything, but she certainly enjoyed her time. So I'm
1: that's so okay. cool. We share that. I know. Did you do what did you dance standard
0: or no? I did everything? all the American. I did American rhythm and American smooth. smooth? Mm-hmm. Oh my
1: gosh! Yeah, that's I dance American rhythm. So mm-hmm. yeah, wow. I saw your
0: videos. You're you're pretty kick butt. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I wish I would started before I was 50. <laughs> hey, you know, I mean, it's never, never too late to start anything, right? That's it. And you know what? There's more and
1: more research showing that dance is an incredible way to not only stay physically fit, but also uh, to, to fend off um, the mental gen- degeneration. So For sure. more and more research is showing that. So, hey, if you're interested in getting it in dancing, just
0: get at. It doesn't matter how old you are. That's right. Get out there. Get on the dance floor. All right, Lisa. Well you are a phenomenal person and I want to thank you so much for coming on here and sharing your story. And- thank you
1: so much. I really, really appreciate having had the space and the time and the the connection with you to to explore some of this.
0: Aw. I really enjoyed my conversation with Lisa and I think that she had a lot of really good insight about the grieving process. And so I hope that if that's something that you're going through, I hope that you took away some really nice nuggets and that uh, there are some things in there that touch your heart because I know that it definitely did for me. So I want to thank Lisa for coming on and definitely don't forget to check out her podcast called Superpower You. I'll put the link in the show notes there. But, you know, I'm eternally grateful that you guys are coming here and listening to the show and I just want to give a big huge thank you to you guys it's amazing and mind-blowing to me that I have a podcast where people trust me with the stories of you know somebody that's so precious to them and the fact that I get to just talk to really interesting people about their moms and the process and I'm so happy to do that. And the fact that you're listening is incredible to me. So if you like the show, please share it with your friends. Um, I would love to hear from you. So if you're listening to the show and you've never written in or anything like that, why don't you send me an email? Pearlsfrommymom at gmail.com or you can find me on Facebook and Twitter. My name's Jessie. uh, Everywhere at pearlsfrommymom. And just drop me a line. Let me know what you think of the show. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions for future topics. If you have any, you know, you or yourself, somebody you might know would like to be on the show. That's awesome too. So I hope that you have a beautiful week. I want to thank you for coming back and listening. We'll definitely talk with you next week. And until then, let's keep sharing to keep the legacy alive.